Hi there and welcome back to the ESPN Footy Podcast. Yes, hello everybody. Matt Walsh here with another episode of the ESPN Footy Podcast brought to you by the iconic Subway Footlong Sub, Subway Eat Fresh. How's it going, Jake Michaels? Uh, good to see your face on Zoom again for another podcast on this uh, overcast Melbourne day. Yes, you're sounding very excited over there. Am I? Oh, I'm just oh, I'm just really enjoying this season of footy. Just a little bit more than footy. usual. <laughs> oh, I'm just enjoying this season of footy. I am, oh, I've got a holiday coming up. I've got the next couple of days off, so I'm jetting down to Hobart, touch wood with all this uh, COVID nonsense in Victoria for a couple of days, and then I'll be back on Sunday to wrap things up from the weekend. So maybe I'm a little bit excited. Very good. Uh, no, it's good. Um, some good games on the weekend. It thoroughly enjoyed it as always. And I think we say it all the time, but it's crazy that we're almost halfway through the season. <laughs> Christian Jolly from Champion Data. Good to speak with you again. Uh, one of the more enjoyable rounds of footy, I think, for, for a long time. A few close ones, a couple of upsets. Uh, you must have enjoyed what you saw. Yeah, I, uh, I did the three close games. I think I had three games oh. on the weekend, all decided by about four points of total margin. So I had the three, uh, I got the three lucky games because um, I think the games around it were quite a, there were a couple of blowouts as well which we shouldn't forget about but yeah it is it's um I think we said it a couple of weeks ago it's one of those seasons where on the day any team can beat anyone else really um and it's just shown by Adelaide 15 beating Melbourne first so I think you also mentioned that gone were the days of the blowouts uh <laughs> yeah well I, no I didn't say they were gone I said we see fewer so I'll, I'll need to get the numbers on that see if we've had fewer and see if I can um I'll have to yeah. go back through the records and, and uh, get that exact quote for you both just so you, you're not lying to us uh yeah it's kind of weird because there's heaps to talk about as usual but um you know Adelaide beating Melbourne we're not really going to get to speak about it, even though we probably should. And that just sort of, it's a testament to just sort of how much news is around this week. But before we do jump into another big episode, something from the weekend that grabbed your attention, Jake? Well, my something is from that game. No, I'm glad. Um, Thank you. And I think it was, normally we say something which is a little bit unusual left field. I think everyone probably noticed this that was watching the game and it was the performance of Clayton Oliver. I don't often pick a player's performance, but it was too good not to mention um, and if no one has no one watched that game or hadn't seen the highlights, I'm just going to read you some stats from his second half. This isn't the game. This is just the second half. 25 disposals, 17 contested, nine clearances, two goals, four tackles, six inside 50s. Now, that's a ridiculous game, let alone a half of football. Um, and he probably should have got them over the line in the end. We won't, again, we're not going to talk about what happened in the last 30 seconds of that contest. Um but what a performance and one of the the most dominant halves of football I think I've ever seen from probably a, a midfielder, I guess. Yeah, and it was the, um, using player ratings, it's the, his complete game was the fourth highest rated game um, since 2010 when the measure first came in. And the, the three guys ahead of him, Lance Franklin, 13 goals for 50.5 rating points. Steve Johnson had a seven goal, 11 score assist game against Melbourne down at um, Skilled Stadium, or whatever it was called back in those days. Um, got 48 or 49 rating points. Mark Lacrasse, 12 goals, got him 43. And Clayton Oliver's finished with a 41. So really the first, the, the best game of any midfielder we've seen without, you know, a, a big bag of goals next to his name in rating points. That second half is probably enough to get you one or two Brownlow votes. Uh, I know they're lost, but surely he's a shoe in for the three. Oh, you would think so. Um, I would be very interested to see if he, if, um, he doesn't get them on Brownlow night, but I certainly gave it to him. And I think, yeah, I think he's, that half alone is good enough to get votes any, as you said. So no, he was, uh, he was terrific. And uh, it's interesting because we'll talk about the game against um, the big game against the Bulldogs this Friday, but get you, you come off with a performance like that and he, he might go into this game as the third or fourth best midfielder on that, on the ground. <laughs> it's crazy how many good players are going to be out there on Friday night. Uh, before we move on to Christian, in a word, both of you guys, was it deliberate out of bounds in the last uh, 30 seconds? 1000%. Christian? Yes. Uh, I think I agree, but the noise of affirmation or the lack thereof maybe played a part in that. <laughs> it was uh, dead silent. <laughs> <laughs> they were just hoping, weren't they? Uh, Christian, something you uh, noticed on the weekend. Yeah, so again, a very similar theme to Jake's, but just, yeah, all the talk, all the, um, you know, we've got board spillages talked about and, um, you know, even, if, you know, COVID's still around. So, this, you know, we just found out the suspended ticket sales at the moment for AFL games, um, the MRO. But I just don't think we're giving enough praise, setting back and just saying the stars are still stars. Buddy's finished with six goals against Frio. Nat Fife's had 13 clearances, um, pretty much single-handedly won the game in that third quarter. We just spoke about Clayton Oliver. 
thought Max Gorn was outstanding in that first half too. So wouldn't be surprised if, you know, he gets the two or three votes in that. Uh, Oliver should get the three, but um, Gorn should be very close behind. Bonson Pally's in career best form. So, yeah, just some of the stuff. I know we've had a lot of injuries and, um, you know, some of the best players are out at the moment on sidelines. But still, I don't think we're giving enough credit to, yeah, just how good some of the superstars are going. We were discussing off air just before we started the podcast uh, about potential mid-year All-Australian teams, Jake, and, and Dustin Martin's not in there. It just sort of shows how the rest of the competition's going, really. Well, he's not in there at the moment, but he's very, very close. So we're going off... Our one will be off the first 11 rounds. So you got one more shot to impress us, Dusty, and we'll get you in there. But no, it's hard. Try try doing it. I mean, you can... You can't put 22 midfielders out there, so it's 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 a bloody hard, hard task to do. But, um, yeah, so many good players. And then you look at pl- guys like Cam Guthrie, Ollie Wines, um, Jared Lyons, who have all been fantastic. And, you know, it's hard to put them in the team. Very much. Uh, yes, you guys have gone a bit um, more player-focused, but I'll, I'll go back to the left field sort of stuff for this, as I always tend to do. A couple of double posters. Little... No, 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 not this week. But... Um... I've got two. I've got two quick ones that I'll run through. Firstly, with about two or three minutes left uh, in that game at Optus Stadium, Frio Sydney, um, I was watching and I thought my television was playing up or I thought the cameraman was having a mare because um, the lighting at the ground was sort of shaking. It was it was going darker and then brighter. And I realised, because they had a wide shot at one point, the stadium lights were actually pulsing on and off, some of them. Mm. like Kind of like what happens after a goal when the celebration happens. And this was yeah. during play. It gave and- you a seizure. It, well, maybe, but like, how distracting would that be when, you know, the games, it's within a kick um, and, and you're playing and you're trying to get a, you know, clearance. I think it was a throw in. They had this wide pan and, and the lights are just flashing like that. I, I couldn't believe that was happening. Yeah. But uh, as we say, both teams had to deal with it, but no, yeah, it's a bit strange. Yeah. I don't think I've seen that before. With our friend at Optus Stadium, see if he's still got a job after that one. <laughs> Not quite as bad as that Super Bowl that was in uh, New Orleans that year, I think it was, where the lights just completely went out in the stadium. But uh, I digress. And the other one was uh, Ben Mackay from North went over the uh, the sidelines and there was a Bombers fan there who had a beer and Ben put his hand through the beer and it obviously emptied quite out because the guy got quite upset and was chasing him with his eyes with, with an empty beer cup going, what's going on here? I, eight, I, I had a feeling that was the quite in, I thought that was a bit intentional by Ben McKay. I reckon he was getting the, <laughs> I have no idea, but I reckon he was coming a bit of sledge from over the field, over the fence. And I just thought there was a bit of a, you can't see it, but I thought there was a secondary slap action there once he'd got his hand over the fence. So I wouldn't be surprised. If well, it's a, a good way to give a, something that was said earlier in the game. Give a fan a bit of a whack in the crowd without getting in trouble for it. Just hmm. get, pretend you got thrown over and just, Give him a cheeky elbow. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't, I haven't confirmed this, but on first viewing of that, you know what I thought the first, the first thing I thought of was remember a couple of years ago when Max Gorn got accosted by that Bombers fan over the fence at at Marvel Stadium. Oh, I think it was the opposite pocket, um, but they looked very similar those two men. So I'm just wondering if it's the same fella, but no, I might, I might be way off. But that was my initial thought. In any case, uh, all right. Yes, we've got plenty to talk about. Uh, as I said off the top. Um, First of all, I think it's probably fair that we go to the MRO and what's sort of been handed down from the weekend. Jake, we talked about this off air that tribunal is going to be busy tonight because they're going to have to sit for three different incidents. But there's one Mm -hmm. that really kind of jumps out at us and it kind of raises a question about the balancing act the AFL has to have between protecting the head. Obviously, concussion is a major concern in footy at the moment. And then recognizing that accidents happen and genuine football moves can accidentally occur, can accidentally cause um, minor concussions, which is what Nick Holman happened. What happened with Nick Holman when he tackled Mitch Duncan uh, at GMHBA Stadium? I put to you that Holman, the duty of care that he displayed was enough. He it was a rundown tackle from behind. It was one motion. He didn't sling. It was a textbook perfect tackle, and Duncan's head just happened to hit the turf, and he's now been given two weeks, despite also winning a free kick in the same incident. I mean, where, what's where's the balancing act, and, and how can we? ensure that stuff like this going forward either doesn't end up in a suspension uh, or it's a blanket, you know, don't hit the head and, and you're liable as the tackler. Well, I think you nailed it. Um, he did nothing wrong. If he did something wrong, why would he have got won the free kick? Um, great tackle, ran, ran him down from behind. He actually did a really good job to not get him in the back, which is really easy to do when you're kind of jumping on somebody. He did everything right. And there's absolutely no way he should be getting suspended. And yet again, it comes back to the the outcome. And unfortunately, Mitch Duncan was concussed. Um, and therefore, the AFL frowns upon that. And 
and a two-week suspension was handed down. I completely disagree because if that tackle happens a hundred times in a game, um, and no, what and the ninety-nine other times there's no concussion. It's play on. We're not even. It, we're we're not even looking about it. It's holding the ball. Yeah. So, um, I, and I've been speaking about this since we since episode one on the podcast. It infuriates me how we are always going on the the result rather than the actual action which but and you talk to anyone in football whether it's players whether it's fans media anyone and everyone seems to be on in the same sort of camp where it's like we want to stamp out the action as opposed to penalizing someone that happens to get unlucky with having someone concussed yet the AFL doesn't seem to be sharing that same thought so it's really frustrating because he's going to be very stiff if he doesn't get off. And we're, and as you say, we're recording before the tribunal on Tuesday evening. Um, he should get off. I'll be disappointed if he, if he gets suspended because it sets yet another bad precedent for the AFL to follow going forward. And we're getting too far away from where we're, we're overprotecting to the point where it's just getting ridiculous. Christian is knee jerk reaction to the rise in, concern about concussion is that what what we kind of looking at here when you look at that when it's been graded as a you know rough conduct charge on a tackle yeah i think so again again, going back to jake's point about the you know the result coming into it i'm I'm happy when the result comes into it if it's an illegal action so i I swing my fist in someone's direction don't hit him don't get weeks i hit him break his jaw i get eight I'm, i'm happy with that but again it's the it wasn't an illegal action. The umpire that was officiating the game deemed that to be a legal tackle, rewarded him with a free kick. But then we get to the stage where, okay, he's concussed. But again, and I'm sure this will be all part of the argument tonight at the tribunal, is was it an illegal action? And I don't think anything Nick Holman did was illegal. Absolutely not. We're not trying to stop players from doing that. So mm. again, yeah, a little bit of, um, you know, I mean, I, I'm in the, I'm in the camp that he has to get off, but I, I do sit on the fence in terms of I am happy for the AFL to be able to come out and say, look, you injured the bloke with this illegal action. We'll give you six weeks. The same guy did the same action the previous week, but there was no injury, so he gets off. That's a bit of luck. But as I said, it has to come down on an illegal action, and there's no way Nick Holmans was an illegal action. Well, luck, but, but luck's it should an be important. the same. It, it it shouldn't matter. They if they both do the exact same thing, they should both should get six weeks. Not the Nick Holman thing, but I just think that shouldn't be luck shouldn't come into it. If you throw a fist at someone and you happen to just miss their miss their jaw, and then you, someone else does the exact same thing and clips them in the jaw and breaks it, as far as I'm concerned, they both should be getting the same suspension. Don't do it. How many times do we see it? Six weeks for a fresh airing. If you if you punch someone and you graze the side of their if you clean punch like the, the Andrew you make contacts. Gaff, Andy Brayshaw situation, he got how many weeks did Gaff get? Six, eight, eight. eight. In the end, yeah. He got eight weeks for that. You do the exact. How many times do we see that a game where someone tries to throw a punch and just and kind of grazes or doesn't really fl- a flush? And well, we saw Kyle Hardigan had a had a whack at Sam Walsh and, and got. I don't suspended. want to see it at all. I, I hate agree with seeing that. it. So clearly Holman was unlucky because. You know, it was accidental and he got punished for it being accidental. But is there still room in the sport for accidents? Well, there should be. Yeah. It's a contact sport. (laughs) Like we were talking about this the other day, you know, the differences between the NRL and the AFL and how how concussion and concussions are massive. I'm glad the AFL is taking it seriously. And we spoke about Chelsea Randall not being able to play in the AFLW decider. Um, and I saw that as a good thing. You know, the AFL's taking it really seriously and not not bending the rules. And I think that's what you want. But at the end of the day, the AFL and the NRL, they're both contact sports. You're going to have players get concussed. You're going to have injuries. You're going to have... How many tackles do we have a game, Christian? 100 tackles a game? Yeah, I mean, about 120, 130. So, yeah, in terms of accidents happening i mean we've seen it we've seen plenty of concussions this year even tim english getting a knee to the head you know he's what's he standing to 205 centimeters tall he can still get kneed in the side of the head and go off concuss so wasn't that his own player as well i think it was yeah so and i think even going back to the chelsea rander one that was just more of an accidental head clash um so accidents clearly happen and it it, it is but it's you can't be afl sort of staying there while saying well holman you were tackling a guy so you were in Mm -hmm. you know you had control that situation you've ended up injuring a player so that's where they're coming from i can understand their point of view but again it goes back to well is that tackle now illegal what what did he what did nick holman do that you want to stop other players from doing and i don't think there's there's anything (laughs) can anyone here answer that yeah no and And if you ask mitch duncan i don't know there's the the player code and all that sort of stuff but if you actually asked him privately and said are you happy that that's a suspension i don't think he would be happy with that 
And having because, interviewed Mitch in the past, I think you're absolutely right. He is that sort of player that would be like, look, well, yeah, we want to eliminate bad acts, but that was an accidental it wasn't, tackle. Yeah, exactly. And the thing is, all, all it does for players is make them confused. It's like, well, you know, and it goes back to what Brett Ratton was saying a couple of weeks ago. I know he's got other things to worry about at the moment with the Saints, but like he was saying, you know, they, I think they had, what do they have, 80 tackles in the game or something, and they got three holding the ball free kicks. And he's like, well, why are we tackling? What's the point of tackling anymore? And it's kind of he's kind of got a point. It's like, well, that's two weeks in a row that that you kind of not really get being rewarded. If anything, you're being penalised for tackling, which is one of the fundamental skills of the game. Mm. I think they're doing a good job in making sure the players are not bumping as often as what they are, and they're tackling safely. Obviously, with no sling tackles. Uh, but I think there's been a bit of a knee jerk in this in this case. Uh, quickly before we move on, uh, the ploughman bump on O'Meara also two weeks. Both seemingly had eyes for the footy, but Plowman, who had O'Meara in his sights, whereas O'Meara didn't have Plowman in his sights, Plowman has braced, um, put his arm up, not in a dangerous way, and collected O'Meara and has been given two weeks. Do we do we agree with that as well? Don't all speak at once. Yeah, I, I <laughs> Personally, I thought it was harsh, but again, I looked at it and I have heard someone sort of point out that he, it probably wasn't a spoiling action. So that is probably mm. one where... It was a bracing action. It's unlucky that O'Meara got knocked out, but again, it is the AFL saying to Plowman, you had to be more careful there. We yeah. can't have you doing that and knocking blokes hey, out. Plowman has a duty of care because O'Meara is in his sights and O'Meara can't see him. Yeah. So, so I think I, I agree I think that one. Yeah. I think I, I slightly agree with you. That's Two might have been a bit harsh, but... Yeah. I, yeah. I was going to say, I think I'm... I'm content with that i'm not too disappointed with that being a suspension but i think i think probably one week i think two seems a tad harsh mm. i know using our very scientific method of oh it seems harsh uh, <laughs> let's move on christian uh you had a good one this week you you came to us with an email normally we're tasking you with something but you said no nah, well, i want to look at this and it's ball movement and how different teams move the ball and different styles that teams have when they move the ball um and there's a bit to get through here so i might just sort of throw it open and sort of Firstly, how many sort of identifiable styles of movement would you say are out there in, in, in the AFL at the moment? Oh, it's, it's probably infinite because of the, it all depends on the. We'll be here all day. Of the game. All yeah, exactly. Ones. So we're not going to go through Everyone's all 18 teams off. and give you their <laughs> game style signature because as I, as I said, it, it all depends on the, the context of the game. So whether you've taken a mark or if it's a free kick or your general play, whether you know you've won a turnover from a clearance or turn it over from a kick in, that's going to depend on how your opposition set up. So, a myriad of ways, I'm sure that you know, and this is what the clubs talk about preseason, you know, training and getting their structures in place. It is it's when balls when the ball starts in this spot here on the field. This is what we want to do, and if the opposition's giving us this look, this is where we want to do it. So, just sort of looking at, and again, it all goes back to probably the Collingwood game on the weekend was probably the best example of it. And you hear it all the time sitting in stands. Just kick the bloody thing forward. Kick the ball forward. Well, teams don't do that anymore. It's, <laughs> it's not the smartest thing to call out of the footy anymore because teams know what they're doing when they're going sideways, lateral and things like that. Um, so, yeah, looking at Collingwood on the weekend, they they only kick long, um, I think it was 30 six percent of the time on the weekend which wasn't it was only the equal 17th lowest what's long what how far does it have to be so about 40 long? meters about 40 meters but again using the 39 short yeah but again not <laughs> not an exact uh science with the distance calculator but again kicking through the ball you can sort of sell when someone's spotting something up versus kicking as far as they can so if there's a howling wind and you kick the ball as hard as you can and it goes 25 meters all day we'll call that long yeah as well depending on you know game situations so uh, yeah, long kick, sort of taking, you know, the longest option you've got, um, kicking through the ball. So the lowest game this year was Frio, uh, 31%. They kicked the ball long, um, which was, I think, uh, oh, sorry, sorry, they were 31% on the weekend, which was the lowest, which is the third lowest game this season, but yet they won. So you can sort of see the two contrasting styles. Collingwood, 36% of the time they go short, and people think that's the reason they lost to Port Adelaide. Uh, because they just couldn't move the ball. Whereas Frio were able to, you know, win an exciting game against Sydney and were, were going forward and long less often than Collingwood. In not great so, conditions too. Yeah, again, so teams sort of know what they're doing. So again, I've sort of started at the source. So every game starts with a stoppage, a centre bounce. So the teams that are coming out of the stoppages, you basically can break them into two sort of categories. They're the ones that are coming out by hand and the ones that are coming out by foot. So you're trying to handball your way out of the stoppage or just kick it out so the team's coming out through handball out of the stoppage. Bulldogs, number one. So 62% of the time they're exiting the stoppage. It's with handball. Yeah. Frio, second, 61%. Geelong, 56%. Port Adelaide, 55%. So three pretty successful teams there. And Frio, sort of a new coach, 
um, sort of still tinkering with their game plan. But then again, looking at it coming out the other way, so stoppage exit by foot, you've got Brisbane at the top there with 60% of the time they come out of the stoppage by foot, 55% for Gold Coast, 54% for West Coast and Sydney. So again, Sydney sort of being up there this year. You can see the successful teams both at the top end for you know, mm. using it by There's hand. There's not one way to go about doing Correct. it. Correct. And whenever I look at all these numbers, I always make the, the uh, comment that you have to be at one of the pointy ends. You either have to be really high and doing something a lot or doing something not so much. Teams that fall in the middle and are sort of neither here or there, you can sort of see that in their game styles. They're, they're inconsistent week to week. They're probably, you know, the teams that are probably middle to bottom uh, parts of the ladder. Um, so, again, there's there's never a right or wrong way to play, but as long as you know your game style and you're trying to, you know, maximise that at every opportunity, that's probably what the best teams do. Well, it makes sense, right? Because it shows you you do have a game style and you're not being indecisive with the way you play. Correct. And it, it, again, being predictable to each other. So the Bulldogs know that there's, as a as Josh Bruce at full forward, there's a stoppage 60 metres out. There's not going to be, it's very rare there's going to be a quick kick out. So you need to get, you know, on par with your defender because there might be a quick 30 metre scrappy kick out and it's going to go to that loose defender. You're probably more holding back, waiting. All right. I know they're probably going to work out three or four handballs here, work it to someone in space, whether that's, you know, Bailey Dale or Johannesson or someone coming off the back of the pack. And that's when I start my lead or that's when I start mm, to make my mm. position. So again, that predictability, the defence knows that there's not going to be a quick kick out of the stoppage that's going to come, you know, flying back over the back towards their, you know, direction because Bulldogs have turned it over with a quick kick out, uh, things like that. So, yeah, it's it definitely... Um, On the other hand, though, does it become predictable for the opposition if you do something a lot? So if the Bulldogs it probably does, and again, but, hand, do they do the defenders now realise that? Yes, but again, I think, I think, and, I, and most good coaches will say, you'll back your system more than, than you'll... Mm then you'll back the opposition to stop your system. So look at Richmond. What do they want to do? They want to go forward with handballs. 400 metres game per game from handballs for the last three or four years. Everyone knows that. Everyone knows that's their strength. It's not as simple as saying, okay, we'll just stop them from handballing forward mm. because they're still being able to do it and win premierships. So being able to nut out that game style, it's like we don't really care if the opposition know what we're doing. We just do mm. it so well. Um, and we do it so consistently that they can't stop it. So even then, I mean, 60 whatever percent the dogs go by handball out of the stoppage. It's still 30 something percent that they're not. Yeah. So there's still an Four element. Out of 10 I guess. Times they're not doing that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But again, and yeah, again, it will come down. But one of the things I did look at this is so if there's a free kick, it probably very hard, like so once there's, you know, if there's a free kick in the ruck or to Liberatore, the first possession at the stoppage pretty likely he's going to kick it from that spot. So this doesn't take into account those ones. Right. So they're, they're always, you know, it's, there's probably never going to be a team, you know, higher than 70 or 80% because there is always going to be a time where you get a free kick or you just, yeah, get the ball out into space. Even if Tim English, you know, hits it beautifully to Bond who ends up getting through two tackles and he's just going to kick it anyway. So, um, yeah, different, con you know, it's not that the Bulldogs will get the ball and just go, I have to handball here. It's it's knowing which option is hmm. the best and the way they set up a stoppages, handball seems to be the best option for them. So it's interesting because we spoke about it with when, when Josh Dunkley was on the podcast, just about how you can't get too. So if that's the way they play and that's what's drilled in, all right, we always look for the first handball at the stoppages, but you can't just be rigid. You've got to be able to to be able to yeah, say, make right, it up as we've you got go, to, yeah, yeah, it's a better option because. Um, all of a sudden you get, that's what you start looking for as a player. It's like, I've got a handball, even though there's no handball on. And I think that's where players do get themselves in trouble a lot, where you see them, well, why is he handballing at two meters to a guy that's already half tackled? Yeah, mm. exactly. It's, it's yeah, being able to, um, and, and what we sort of say, you've got, you go out and you probably want to play structured footy all the time, but then sometimes you got to win the chaos ball and just sort of, as I just said, make it up as you go. So um, sticking with the kick and handball sort of style. So out in general play, kick to handball ratio, um, it's, you know, most of the competitions closer together. I reckon 15, 20 years ago, you would have had a couple of teams at, you know, two and a half kicks for every handball and a couple at one and a half kicks for every handball. Now every team's between, um, between one and two kicks per handball. So there's still a big variance. So Brisbane are number one. So that they kick the most, they 1.89 kicks for every handball they have. Um, so they're at the top Gold Coast, second, 1.88 West Coast, second, uh, third at 1.79 kicks per handball. Uh, and then down the other end, Hawthorne's at 1.19 kicks per handball, lowest. Second lowest is Bulldogs, 1.26. And third lowest is Richmond, 1.29. So again, Brisbane West Coast, very um, mm. controlled sort of game styles. They, they move the ball very well with, you know, short kicks and using the space very well. You look at Bulldogs at Richmond, they're just going to get you on 
almost a tsunami. You know, we know Bulldogs mm. like to have those 400 disposals and flip the ball around. We talk about Richmond and their handball meters game. To me, it's it's interesting to see Hawthorne there. We sort of know that I, I reckon it's a stat. Teams that are usually lower in the ladder or usually struggling probably tend to kick the ball more. Just get the ball 50 meters forward. You know, you probably get yourself into trouble a lot more handballing. Hawthorne seem to have, as we and I spoke about them last week, they're, they're doing this rebuild quite well. They're not bottoming out fully. They're not getting smashed by 100 weeks, have 100 points each week. And they've also, the, the more I look at these numbers, they've got a good sort of style that they're trying to replicate. They are sort of trying to play a Richmond Bulldog sort of style of high handball. Um, they're sort of high up there for playing on the most after a mark, um, mm. which, again, Richmond is sort of up there too as well. So more I look at Hawthorne, there's clearly something that they're working towards. So, you know, if Hawthorne is successful in the next two or three years, I would think it's going to be a successful handball sort of game style that they play. Well, very different to the, the early Clarko method. As yeah, well. which was just that, just take that short option, that, that set we'll kick. To, we'll have to erect another Alistair Clarkson statue, <laughs> I reckon. Uh, yeah, he, uh, what did he do? He mastered the kicking game and he might master yeah. the handballing game yet. So we'll... Uh, He'll prove you wrong yet, Jake. <laughs> um, so, Christian again, or Clarko? Both. <laughs> <laughs> um, do any teams employ a unique style of ball movement? Like something that no other team does? Like, are there any sort of real outliers? No, not really. But again, just looking at... Um, so again, I looked at, you know, which teams kick the ball long. So you've got Richmond 46% of the time they kick the ball long. Uh, is that, and that's the most, one. is it? Sorry. Yeah, that's the most. And so they kick the ball the long back. and handball the most Richmond. So they're not a short kicking team. Correct. Yep. So get the ball yep, move going it, on the move. overlap with handball. Um, and then, yeah, once we get it into enough space, they sort of kick long. Mm. So I know they're, they're not the same this year in their, um, in their, pre, I think their first premiership year, they were first for, kicking short in the defensive 50 in the defensive half and 17th for kicking short in the forward half. So they just went short in the back half. Uh, once we got it over halfway, that's when we go long to the forwards. It's probably the opposite for North Melbourne this year. So they've actually been, oh, sorry, similar story for North Melbourne, sorry, 34% in the defensive half, they go short. Uh, sorry, they go long in the defensive half. So only 34% of the time. But once they get it past center they're going long 47 percent of the time which is the highest percentage of any side so again if you want to talk about north and what they're trying to do they're trying to protect the ball in their back half siebel um it's all jack siebel's eight meter kicks yeah and, and, and players 50, like that sort of chipping contest. the ball around and being careful but then again when we get it past halfway we just we need to get it as close to goal as quickly as possible so once we're away from the opposition goal the it's straight away the mindset turns to let's get it closer to goal and they're just kicking longer and sort of their, their kick to handball ratio drops in the forward half. But again, that could be more to do with just, it's just a younger team. They're really got to protect the defense and the forward half opportunities aren't coming as often as other teams. So it might be a little bit of excitement there as well. Oh, shit, we've finally got the ball yeah. forward of center. <laughs> let's just get it in there quickly and long to uh, Larky and things like that. So again, a, a little bit of, you looked at Richmond in their premiership year and that's what they were doing. You look at North and you say, well, they're, they're starting with something. They're starting with a basis of similar to Richmond. Go slow out of your defense, protect yourself, and then go fast when you get in the forward half with a bit more chaos. So, um, again, yeah, every team, you know, we sort of talk about West Coast being a very good kick team and uh, Richmond being a handball team. So most teams have a certain style. Um, and even going with that with the handball meters game was interesting to me. So, as I said, with Richmond per game, they're averaging 433 sorry, 448 metres gained per handballs. Um, per handball? So, so from handball. So it's actually 2.9 metres per handball. So almost three metres for every handball they have their gaining metres. The next most is Adelaide and North at 1.6 metres per disposal. So almost twice as good as those two. Right. And I think that um, stat alone really highlights the fact that you there's no right way, as you said at the, at the top. It's like you've got the best team in the last five years and two teams that have really struggled in the last sort of two years um, yeah, behind but, them. Yeah, but, but try to probably get their signature up. So, yeah, North and Adelaide, you know, at least, again, at least they're at the top of something. So, at least North and Adelaide, um, you know, both of those teams can sort of hang their head and say, well, mm. we do try to take ground with our handball. We're not just neutral. And Whereas going down the other end of the table, West Coast, negative uh, 57 metres per game gained from handball, which is a bit of contradictory because they don't gain metres, but actually, yeah, more likely to go backwards. So they're losing 0.4 metres with every handball they do. Well, they're again, looking, for, looking a, for an uncontested kick or a kick under less pressure. They're probably handballing back out of a pack and going, Correct. all right, yeah. we're going to keep space. going, keep drilling into West Coast. They go lateral with their kicks more than any other team mm. um, and like to go short. So again, it is, it's, it's about working the ball out the back of the pack and then going sideways across and 
um, you know, you can see the ball sometimes start at a forward uh, um, attacking midfield stoppage, you know, 80 metres out from goal and the ball will still be worked back to Shannon Hearn's hands who then kicks it to the other side mm. of the ground and they attack the 50 that way. Again, as a supporter, that can be frustrating thinking, why are we going the long way around? But West Coast know what they're doing. Kennedy, Darling, those guys know that, all right, if we get out to the fat side here, we know that West Coast are probably, you know, we know our defence and midfielders are going to switch the ball here. Mm. Um, so, yeah, being predictable to your forward. So, but again, to me, Richmond, you know, probably the most successful team um, across four years and have always been continually 300, 400 metres gained from handballs. I put West Coast up, you know, as one of the top four most successful teams in the last four or five years, and they've always been in the negative for handballs. So, again, as we keep saying, no right or wrong way to do it. As See, this is a- funny because everyone, well, a lot of, you know, broadcasters and all that they always run, you know, go on about the cliche about copying the premiers. And it just doesn't seem like anyone's bothered to do that because I remember writing about handball meters gained and, and the Tigers in 2019, and they were comfortably the best team at it, nearly double the next. I think Melbourne was the, the second best team in 2019, um, but like still half of the meters gained with handballs of, of the Tigers. And you're saying that no team has really sort of, joined them as doing we, that we saw Essendon um definitely 2020 pre-season and early last year um probably most of last year really really try to recreate that handball game um which sort of suited them well because even two years ago they were really good at scoring from the back half so Essendon have always been a funny team when I look at them they they score better from the back half when they start in the back half than they do when they start in the forward half almost so they need that 100 meters or 150 meters of field in front of them rather than mm. 60 meters to work in that space so I think trying to, yeah, utilise that speed off half back, they tried to, yeah, bring in a more handball game and that was very noticeable. But again, it's uh, coaches are coaching for the long run. So why would you yeah. just flip and change? Just because Richmond won a premiership and you've worked on a game well, style where you're, yeah, and you're, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But if you're, yeah, if you're looking at, you know, someone like Simon Goodwin, you're not going to flip and change your game plan just to copy Richmond's. You're probably going to look at Richmond and say, well, this is why they're successful because they get a lot of metres gained from their mm. half-back line. How do we get metres gained from our half-back line with the cattle that we have on the field? Yeah, it might and not that's important be too. Yeah. That's, the cattle's important because yeah. just because one team can do something doesn't mean the next group of players can do the same thing. Yeah, Essendon half-back, half-backs are, are suited to a high metres gain sort of style of, of play, yeah. whereas you know, other sides might not be, so... Yeah, I guess it makes sense. We could go on for we could do a whole podcast on ball movement, I think. Um, but we're running short of time. Is there anything else that's really standing out to you, Christian, before we move on? No, as I said, again, it's um, yeah, we can keep going. We sort of talk <laughs> about you know using the corridor and using the boundary, and again, um, we've got good teams like Geelong that use the you know use the corridor a lot, um, and then we've got teams like Richmond. Um, I think West Coast are down there for using the boundary and the wings a lot. So again, everywhere I just keep coming back to the same point: no right or wrong way to do it. Um, mm. But as long as you've got a set, you, you sort of have to be set in your ways though to be a successful yeah. team. If you're enjoying this podcast, swipe over and check out the ESPN Australia Podcast Network. We're discussing the best stories on the sports you love with on-the-ground takes and fresh voices covering the names and games you tune in for. Uh, moving on, there is a team that is not set in its ways. Oh, that was a good segue. That set me up well. Um, and that's St Kilda, who got done by uh, legs 111 on the weekend, Jake. Three and legs. Three <laughs> legs. Uh, and so I thought we could almost bring back an old segment from year one for, for listeners of the podcast from back in 2019. Um where Jake has had a gutful and he's had a gutful of the saints and has demanded to have his rant. So Jake, take it away. Well, it's interesting. As I said at the top, we're almost halfway through the season. And I just feel that St Kilda with, with so many struggles with North Melbourne and with Collingwood and Hawthorne, I feel, I feel that St Kilda's really flown under the radar and not copped. It's the whack that they probably should have received for the last, well, 10 weeks. And this goes back to, you can look at the record and say, okay, they're four and six and they've had four losses by nine goals plus. But I, I actually went back a little bit further to, to late last year. And you take out the, the fi- take out finals, and just looking at the last seven home and away uh, games from last season. So their last 17 games total, they're actually seven and 10. So I know they went on and, and uh, made finals and they won a final. They, they upset the dogs in that final and then lost to the Tigers. But I just feel like were we overrating where St. Kilda was? They weren't exactly flying at the back end of last year. But no, does winning they, a final make you start but, to think, hey, this team is better than perhaps they are? Did they did they contribute to that 
too with their recruiting, well, absolutely, and with their positioning. So I, I'm I'm with you, um, but I think they were in the same position. Well, I mean, it's hard to win a final. Some teams haven't won a final for years, and and so they've gone and done that despite a bit of a you know a splattering end to the season, uh, and then they've gone and got more big names as well and, yeah. and, and brought big names across over the last two years, the list that they've built should be one that's contending. They've taken but- a massive step back. Um, but I, the, and the thing is, and we spoke about it before, there, there's two, there's two issues with St. Kilda that I can see. One is a real lack of resilience. Okay. Um, and this I think is highlighted by the fact that there are four games this year where they've lost by nine, nine goals plus, And obviously the, the biggest one was, uh, 111 points on the weekend to the dogs. Obviously, the dogs are a good side, but you shouldn't be losing by uh, by um, 18 goals or however many goals it is. I mean, it's, it's a it's a it was a horrible outing, and the fact that they just didn't they didn't look like they cared. It looked like an under 16 side going up against the dogs, and there was so much space, and not just late in the game where they got on top of them. It was from early on too. Um, Lack of resilience, which is surprising for a Brett Ratton coach team who I have a lot of respect for. And I think particularly oh, one of the most resilient Carl- players of all time. Yeah. And as a Carlton, um, co- as Carlton's coach was fantastic. I think he got, he earned a lot of admirers and what he has been able to at St. Kilda, but really lowering his colors a fraction this year. And the other thing is, which I know you're keen to talk about is the lack of on-field leadership. I feel like mm. if you take Jack Steele, who's been terrific the last couple of years, you take him out of that team. My God, there's, there's a real shortage of actual on-field leaders that you look to as a younger player. Well, yeah, uh, this is this is the, the startling thing for me is you sort of, Jaron Geary's hasn't been in the side for a fair bit of the year. Um, and, and, and he's obviously a co-captain, has been captain mm. for a while. Um, but he comes in and he's not the sort of player to me that, that screams on-field leadership. And, no. and Steele is. Steel he's, not, is a- he's not a drag the team with him. Correct. Steel is very much a come on, boys. We need to do yeah. this. But like, if you look across the lines, you know, the players don't stand, like James Frawley. He's he's not a, he's he's a good player. He's experienced, but he's not old. He's he's not he's not a leader. Um, I think they got too Howard, many flaky flaky players. Not a, um, not a leader. Bradley Hill recruited on big money, but he's not a leader. No. Brad Crouch, you know, he was. I don't think he was a leader at Adelaide. I don't think he's a leader at St Kilda. Jack Billings is is not. Billings not, is too flaky. Memories yeah. too flaky. Um. I mean, Max King, Max I think, King's be a, too young. a future leader. You can't um, rely on him. He's too young. Um, yeah. Zeb Ross, not there. Hunter Clark's a really good player, but is, is he a leader? Yeah. I mean, I think they just no. they, they lack a hard edge on the field. Um, the only and- player they've recruited that's probably got leadership qualities is probably Dan Hanabry, but he's just been Correct. only been able to play about 12 games in three years, and it's just not games enough. So he's got recruited, and and he is, and he's on a lot of money, and that, and I, and funnily enough, that might be one of the bigger recruiting mistakes that they've made from the output that they've got for what they're paying him, mm. despite the fact that he he is a great leader and would have provided or can still probably provide that you know Luke Hodge esque kind of influence on a group that that Brisbane had, and and you look at a team like Brisbane who did that when they were young and lacking leadership. They brought in a Hodge and a Birchall. Mm. And now look at them. They've got leaders all over the park. Yeah. Um, so, the, look. I, leadership I could also... breeds leadership. And they, there's not enough there to begin with. Um, and look, this isn't a knock on Jack Steele because I think he's been... I was a, I was always a little bit sceptical on Jack Steele when he left the Giants. I wasn't quite sure what player yeah, he could I agree. become. And I didn't expect him to become the player he, he has become. He was tre- tremendous last season. And I, fe- I feel sorry for him because people will look at this year and think, oh, he's regressed a little bit. No, he hasn't. He's playing as well as he did last year. But they're just not winning the games. He just doesn't have the support. Um, with, the, with the leadership one, I was going to say, is it a bit of a, of a, a vacuum sort of... Uh, effect of having someone like Nick Rewald at your club for so long yeah. that he was just, he is your leader. You just look mm-hmm. up to him and everyone, and you know, the guys we recruited, they all came and it was Nick Rewald St. Kilda. I know he's been gone for a while, gone for a while. I feel like Carlton probably went through something similar when Stephen Kernahan left. It was probably just the timing of the club as well. Um, it was a long time before there was like another leader just really stood up and, and it, it could be probably a little bit like that, but I, I agree with you. So internally they probably weren't, um, you know, I think maybe Jack Stephen was captain for a while. He doesn't come across as, you know, it being a, you know, a Luke Hodge type, type leader either. Um, so, yeah, they, they probably didn't didn't um, breed enough, you know, leaders in-house. But then, as you said, all the names that they brought in, there was no clear leader in all of those as well. I think, you know, Jack Steele was brought in as a 20-year-old. I don't think he was brought in as, you know, a future yeah. captain. They ended up nailing that, nailing that and getting him right. I love Jack Steele. Uh, but you're right. I feel like, yeah, a little bit of, little bit of just where they were in the past that, you know, they, they had a pretty, 
strong yeah. top four or five team, you know, with Rewalt, Montagna, Del Sano. That's great. Yeah. Um, but yeah, what, what were they doing with the players underneath them to sort of help them with their leadership? There might have been, yeah, a little bit of. Um... I think Max King will become a leader. I think that's pretty clear, but we can't, you can't sort of expect it so Not soon. While, and, and someone like Dougal Howard might become a leader, you know, mm. but, but right now they don't have it. And that's the problem. And, and, and on field is so crucial because within the span of 25 minutes, yeah, runner comes out and, and passes on messages from mm. the coach, but you need players across most lines yeah. to say, fellas, we've given up three goals quickly or whatever, you know, let's, let's regroup here and let's, let's do something different. And clearly from the losses that they've had and the scale of some of the losses they had, there's no one that's, that's, that's doing that and, and making any meaningful change or, or saying anything that's meaningful that is getting through to these players. And I think it's a, it's a massive issue. You look at their percentage, it's second worst in the league well yep. below any other team on, on the same number of wins. Um, I think they're just about out of finals contention because even if they do scrape with 12 or 13 wins, their percentage is going to be need not another win. They need an extra game now because they're not recovering that percentage. Mm. Um, yeah, no, I think we said probably after about round six or seven that they're, they're just about out of finals contention. Not much as not, uh, losing to the dogs by 111 points isn't going to help that. So, hmm. no, I think it's um, going to be a wasted year, unfortunately. And it's a shame. Look, they do have some players on the on the sidelines that would be great to have back in, but um, not enough to suggest that they would be, you know, I, I think a lot of people were expecting them to be certainly top eight and some were even expecting them to be pushing the top four. Yeah, I think I had them not, not far out the four. So uh, disappointment from the Saints, that's for sure. Uh, good rant, that. Thank you. Um, good to sort of get that off my chest as well as yours. And I'm sure, Christian, you Well, they've been escaping the heat a bit, the Saints. <laughs> and there's another couple of teams that I reckon have, that have been escaping a little bit too. So... Line them up. If they, if they keep yeah. uh, underperforming, let us know. Hawthorne. <laughs> <laughs> uh, speaking of, uh, not rants, but Damien Hardwick's had a... A, a sneaky but sudden transition into becoming one of the game's biggest agenda pushers. Um, this this year alone, you know, he floated the idea of the mid-season loan or the mid-season trade thing where he wanted to get his own players a little extra experience by just sending them up to the Gold Coast, you know, and, and, and uh, letting them surf in the surf there and get some football experience <laughs> all while doing absolutely nothing himself. He then wanted to scrap Pyre Opportunity, which was uh, not a a popular decision amongst other coaches, but he, he went out pretty strongly with that. He on Friday night was whinging to the broadcasters mid game about the, the free kick count. Um, and he, he basically undermined the AFL by saying that it's okay for his players to fight. If they're, if they're in the situation where a fight's necessary, which I don't think is what something a, a head coach should be doing. Is this the sort of behavior or agenda pushing that we want to see from coaches jake i i think he's going a bit far and i don't care how many flags he's won in the last four years i don't think it matters about flags or who whether it's damien hardwick simon goodwin anyone i mean any coach i want to see coaches and hear coaches saying what they think too often in australian sport it's diluted crap he's trying to influence the the direction of the game that he's currently coaching but alistair clarkson did that for 20 years and i didn't like that either See, this is okay. why I feel like it's. It feels almost like it's um, a rite of passage for successful coaches. Well, <laughs> I don't need to talk, you know, because again, can you imagine Brett Ratton after that 111 point loss if he had to come out and spoke about mid-season oh, we raids we or something off topic? Kicks. Because St Kilda <laughs> members would have, you know, handed him, you know, yeah. um, for you know not having the mind on the job. Whereas Damien Hardwick and going back to Clarks in those days, they didn't have to worry about anything they said. In the, like their team yeah. was in total control. They were on control on field. So why not? It's a great deflection as well. We don't want to talk about Richmond's injuries or don't want to talk about Richmond, you know, dropping one to Brisbane. So I'll just bring up, yeah, umpires or prior uh, prior yeah. opportunity, things like that. So I, I do feel like only successful coaches would be able to get away with it. Um, well, even Ratton, when he was but talking. But I'm comfortable with it. I'm not. I don't really necessarily have a problem with I guess there's certain topics you probably don't want to talk about. I, I'm not a big fan of coaches blasting umpires. During the game? Not during the game, but I'm happy with him talking about a mid, the mid-season draft. I'm happy with him talking about the prior opportunity. If he's got ideas to improve the sport, go for it. If he has ideas to improve the sport, Jake, he should be working for the AFL or in the media. But just as because a he mentions it doesn't mean that they're nah. going to do it. Oh, yeah, I don't know. There's been a there's been a few times where you compare it to the number of other coaches that have done similar things, and he. So you want him to just well shut up. up and coach? Now that's unfair. Uh, is this a reference to shut up and dribble? 
Well, it is. What's? But I don't understand. The difference like, is that, want... that people like LeBron James, for instance, who are told to shut up and dribble, are talking about social issues, not you know mingling in the game in which they play and trying to change the rules and get other things done. That's it's completely different, though. I don't think he's necessarily trying to be sneaky about how he's going. No, about it's not. It's not all that sneaky anymore, is it? No, it's actually no. pretty pretty forthright and. Yeah. <laughs> I'm there. happy with it. I, I have no issue with. Pl- I want players and coaches to talk more and be more open and share their views. I think that that's one thing I wish we could take from US sport is the fact that athletes are prepared to speak their mind and say mm. how they feel rather yeah, than about other players to... and about matchups. Yeah, I, I want to see players saying, "I'm going to absolutely dominate Bond." I'm going to keep him to 10 touches. I'd Bond's love to see garbage. that. I'm going to... <laughs> but, but, you know, oh, we only got nine free kicks and, and Brisbane got 16 in the first half. Come on, take it. No, I don't agree. Again, I'm, listen, I'm, I'm with you on the free kick stuff and the umpires. I think the umpires is a bit out of bounds. You know, mm. we, Brett Ratton was talking about it a couple of weeks ago. Uh, we don't need to talk about the umpires. But if he's got a thought on the game outside or some sort of issue... He- I'm happy to hear it. If he wants to scrap prior opportunity, there was an opening for an umpire's boss that was filled just recently. He could have put his hand up for that. Well, maybe he will. Maybe he will after a fourth flag. <laughs> All right. We could, <laughs> argue, we could argue about this for a while. Uh, justified hype or hyperbole time. I'll say a statement. You guys tell me whether the hype is justified or I'm speaking in hyperbole. Christian, Melbourne's starting ruck line being Max Gorn, Clayton Oliver and Christian Petrarca could end up being the All-Australian ruck line. Uh, it's probably justified hype, but if it is, I would consider Tom Liberatore one of the un- unluckiest men in Australia. If he's not named him one of the, what he's, if he's, he's named in your centre? genuine rover, Tom Liberatore? So I can I see what you're doing. You're, you're calling out on assume the, the old ruck ruck rover rover line. Mm-hmm. Um, this doesn't really exist anymore, though, does it? It doesn't. But if if there was a rover in the competition, it's Tom Liberatore. So I I'd, put it this way: there's me, four at the centre bounce, Liber and three others. Are the three others those three? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm happy for the three others to be there. But exactly, Liber is probably the first person I'm picking for my centre bounces. And you can give me another, you give me any ruckman and two midfielders with Liber, and I'm still confident I'm getting first touch. Uh, but yeah, it could could be a, a very dominant uh, Melbourne heavy midfield this year. Uh, Jake, the rolling fixture is working. Um, well, it's an interesting one. I, I think there are some ways it's clearly not. We, we spoke about last week. Um, the crowds have been down. Obviously, we're diving back into coronavirus territory a little bit again here, which is unfortunate. And we'll see how that pans out. But I actually found one real positive from it and was the fact that given that we haven't had the fixture all set in stone from um, pro- from the beginning of the season, it's meant that we're now going to get a blockbuster clash on Friday night. Because I tell you right now, there's absolutely no way we would have got the Bulldogs in Melbourne as the Friday night fixture had the had the fixture come out prior to the season. It would have definitely been Collingwood and Geelong, which turns out that's probably not going to be a great game. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm wrapped and I can't wait. And I think the whole footy world is just um, chomping at the bit to actually get to Friday night for that for that contest. Absolutely. And I'll throw this over to either of you guys. Will Jordan Degoe attain elite status? I'm surprised you didn't ask me that. <laughs> well, you can answer it if you like. But, I mean, Christian's a stats man, so he might have a, Maintain, a statistical well, insight. Is he, is he? Is he? I mean, I don't think he is. He hasn't been this year, and I don't think he, he has been. He does elite things, but not consistently. He has elite um, games, uh, and then he'll do not much for two or three weeks. Yeah, I reckon there's only been one season think he finished elite um, by the end of the season but you're right he's never really been in that bracket when when looking at a yeah a, a consistent period of time he's had as you said he might have had three of the top 10 games in a season mm. um, but he's never ended up finishing besides I think it was yeah 2019 I think he might have just finished in the elite bracket um, but again it's if he's a general forward yes if they just play him general forward and don't waste his time in the midfield and we're rating him again. Cause when we do all our ratings, we rate him by position. Um, when he goes into a mid forward role, he's yeah, he's just not as good as it, but if he's just a general forward, um, he could be elite, but it's just, I think that's a good so point desperate to get him yeah. in the midfield though. They probably will never be just a general forward. How many mid size or, or general forward forwards are there in the comp that are, that you'd say are comfortably better than him? I don't think there's a huge amount. Yeah, that's, that's probably fair. Um, yeah. Not that, not that I've got the, the aerial and well, ground skills that he has. Yeah, but it's 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 more hype, isn't it? At this point, I mean, he's his yeah, he's game on the weekend, on a, two behinds and nine touches. Like, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I think he's a bit distracted by there's some things that are going on with him off field this season, and 
Um, he's got a couple of court dates coming up, but not that has has it should have any bearing on his footy or the way we analyze his footy. But um, yeah, I don't know. I just think the the hype train is is leaving the station pretty quickly, and and Jordan Degoe is going to get left behind unless he can uh, find some form consistently over the rest of this year or going into the future. Fair enough. Footy tips, get them in uh, Friday night and then Thursday nights from next week. So just How a reminder good. to everyone. Yeah, you're a big fan of the Thursday nights. Oh. Maybe that should have been a justified hype question. Maybe next week we'll squeeze one in. No, but in all seriousness, how good is Thursday night football? <laughs> it's the best. Yeah, it's good. But again, the AFL takes it away and then they the, the fans arc up and then they bring it back and sort of say, how good are we for bringing back Thursday night footy like it shouldn't have ever left? But do we like the it AFL's because it's funny. not on every week? If it was on every week, yeah, would maybe. We, I think I still would enjoy it. I feel like it just really... It spreads the, the rest of the games out, is, which is what I like. You don't get so many overlapping games on the Saturday. True. It shortens our week, though, as uh, during the week, as if we're setting up some content and stuff. But it's a very niche complaint that I have. Uh, <laughs> get your tips in. D's and Dogs Friday night. Uh, just quickly, we should t- touch on this. Who, who are you backing and why, Christian? Uh, surprisingly, I'm going to go Melbourne with a weird theory just because they had the harder game on the weekend. Um, very evenly matched teams. Um, mm. Yeah, I just think Melbourne, Melbourne, one, they lost, and two, it was probably a harder game from They're probably going to come out just a little bit more hungrier than the Bulldogs. Jake? Yeah, I it is a weird theory, but I do agree with it. Um, how can they go against the Dogs? Um, at Marvel, too. I yeah, know, it's at Marvel. Um, I'm going to go a draw. I'm going to go the, I'm gonna pick the, <laughs> no, I'll go the Doggies by a point. I think I, it's going to be a great game. I mean, this is, it's not often, I know we, it's kind of our job to hype games up and stuff, but it's rare that I'm really, really, really looking forward to a game like this. I can't wait for it. Like, mm. I really can't wait. And I think the midfield battle alone, talk about Petrarca, Oliver, Bontempalli, McRae, all these guys. People forget about how good Liberatore is. He is ridiculously good, particularly as, as a center clearance player. I can't wait. It's going to be a fascinating game. I'll go the the dogs by a point okay well i'm glad that josh dunkley is not on this podcast because i'm going to go for the d's as well i think uh i think the interception the interception work that may uh, lever and may are doing this year is just incredible and i get the feeling that they as defenders are just slightly better than what the dogs have as forwards uh, and that may decide Ooh. it so Top that yeah. Aaron norton <laughs> No, I love uh, the astronaut and, and Josh Bruce has had some good games, but I just think that Lever and May are better backmen than they are forwards. No, that's yeah. fair. Um, yeah, it'd be interesting to see what Melbourne does with its forward line, I think. Yeah, it will. It will be. Um, we've got to go, though. We're running over time. I need to go and panic buy some toilet paper before, uh, before it all flies <laughs> off the shelf. You would be one of those guys, I reckon. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, see, the awkward thing is when you actually need toilet paper, that's when the the, the, the restrictions will come in. So I've uh, got to head to Coles. Um Guys, thanks for joining me again. We'll speak to you in the next week. Uh, next week, we've got Chris Dory on, draft expert. He's going to talk uh, mid-season draft, so make sure you tune in for that. Uh, and we will speak to you in the next one. Listen to all the latest episodes by subscribing to the ESPN Footy Pod, wherever you get your podcasts.